Welcome to the Leanne McCoy podcast. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a church lady in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I contemplate things that are too wonderful for me, where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine, and where I remind you and me that no matter what we're going through, God's got this. I'm Leah McCoy, and this is my podcast. A few weeks ago, I led a conference here in Tennessee at Lifeway's Women's Leadership Forum. I cannot count how many times I've led conferences at what we like to call the Forum. But it has been a few years since I've been there, and it felt like coming home. I remembered how this conference was a whole lot like my own little church, or big church, I guess, when I was in the busy days of ministry and motherhood. It was so good to reconnect with women from all across the nation who love Jesus and His church and want to serve both He and His church well. I called the breakout conference that I led Losing Faith creating a ministry response to deconstruction. And I was given a large room, one that was set up to seat maybe 150 to 200 people or so. Not only were all the seats filled, but there were at least 20 people sitting on the floor. This told me that we live in a culture inundated with loved ones who are deconstructing their faith. It also tells me that God is passionate about his children who have or are in the process of deconstructing their faith. If he weren't, he wouldn't put it on the hearts of so many people to learn more about it so that they can reach out, pray for, and minister to their friends and family members who are doing so. I've shared a bit about deconstruction in a few other episodes, and I'm going to share a bit more in these next three podcasts as I reflect on last month's conference. I hope this is helpful to you as you prepare to spend time with family members this holiday season. Let's not waste our time grieving over things we can't change, but instead arm ourselves with wisdom, understanding, and the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek to love well the people that we love. The first part of this three-part series in this first episode, I'm just going to answer this question, why is deconstruction such a thing today? I asked this question in the conference that I led, and then I attempted to answer it by sharing what Carrie Newhoff thinks, because anytime you're at a conference with people who love the church, it's always a great idea to quote Carrie Newhoff. (laughs) Carrie Newhoff's article gave us five observations about the culture that in his um, mind and thoughts has created the atmosphere for deconstruction. Number one is this, trust in large institutions is declining all across the board. That's what he said. Now I'm going to give you a little of my running commentary. It is just cool to be against big corporation, big government, big educational and religious institutions. I have to confess that I'm sympathetic toward this thinking regarding these things. I'm of the mind that corporate America is hurting us, that big government has grown past its ability to be held in check 
by the whole concept and idea of checks and balances. And without accountability, it's doing more harm than good. And I agree that the educational system that prepared World War II babies to live their best lives is not the same system that prepares millennial babies to live theirs. I have to confess also that living in a role that gave me full access to the behind the scenes shenanigans of a growing large church has me wondering if we ought to rethink how we do church as well. But before you lump me into the category of those deconstructing their faith, and before we get distracted by a sideline argument, let's move on. Number two, Carrie Newhoff said, we live in a more diverse, accessible, and mobile world. This would include all of our social media and what the internet makes possible. With ready access to the internet, I'm commentating again, we literally have libraries of information, philosophy, and knowledge at our fingertips. And not all of those resources are as legitimate as they might claim to be. Take the History Channel, for instance. I've heard several former New Agers testify that when they watched programs about aliens on the History Channel, that itself became an open door for them to pursue New Age thought. It's easier, my friends, than ever to study apologetics, to read volumes also on the other way of thinking, and to learn everything you ever wanted to know about other world religions. And then with sites such as Medium and Quorum, where people write endless commentaries on everything, you can quickly follow a rabbit trail and end up like Alice in Wonderland did when she went down the rabbit hole. Then there's social media influence that is so very powerful. Once you start questioning your faith and entertaining doubts, you can quickly find others who've done the same and some who are making their living life coaching, podcasting, YouTube, and posting reels about the very things you're questioning. And with their encouragement, it makes it easier to leave what you once thought you loved behind. You also realize you're not alone on that path. Let me also add that with the explosion of social media, people are more connected than ever and at the same time, less connected than ever. Number three, Carrie Newhoff said, high performing Christians are burning out. So very sad. But in this day and age, counterfeits and imposters are being exposed. When I was in seminary, we watched a documentary about a young man who made a farce of the Pentecostal tent revival movement. He mocked the people who attended the revivals and gathered with his friends, drinking and smoking as they counted the offering that was collected. I'm not exactly sure why they showed us that in seminary, maybe to um, allow us to feel the, um, the anger and the just how wrong that is to do that to people. And to be warned that um, in this world of vocational Christianity, those things happen. But pretending and going through the motions and using Christian ministry as a smoke screen for misbehavior has always gone on. But today it's more prevalent with social media and it's tearing away at people's confidence in Christian faith. Not only that, but I think genuinely great Christian leaders have um, privately struggled with other issues, pornography, um, sexual addictions, uh, 
uh, alcoholism, all these things. But with the um, advance of social media, it's just that we don't only hear about the highest profile of those people, but we hear about many of them. And um, in reading their stories and watching the spotlight shine on their failure and their disgrace, it's just hard to um, watch. It's hard to watch. <laughs> I'll sum this little portion up. I mean, like this number three up, high-performing Christians are burn up with this thought. Too much self and too little humility is making it hard to respect those in the spotlight. When they fall, their fall takes lots of others with them. They'll give an account for that one day. Number four, Carrie Newhoff said, the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity. Now my commentary. This is the demise of many denominations. The demise of these denominations is the need to conform to the image of the current faction in charge. This divides and slings off people who either cared a whole lot about what their denomination meant to them or people who were looking for validation for the diversion they were taking in their own faith journey. All denominations but the assemblies of God are declining at a rapid pace. What's up with that? Perhaps the day of cooperation that grew strong because we decided to rally around the primary doctrines we agree on are over. Unfortunately, some of the leaders in denominations with cooperative programs have decided that they want to be defined more by what they believe than by how well they work together. Sharp, uh, church attendance, in fact, has taken a sharp decline as well, and we'll talk about that more as we, as we go on. Number five, Carrie said, the acceptance of political idolatry and conspiracy theories in Christian communities. And I would add to this Christian patriotism. Too often, my friends, people leading the church forget that we are citizens first of a heavenly kingdom that transcends time and space and national identity. Instead of being a people who put their trust in God, too many leaders have begun to lead their people to put their trust in government. And that is much much lower than us urging people to put their trust in God. Listen to this brief article I found in Christianity Today. It was written on, or well, it was published on October 23rd this year, 2023. Donald Trump's presidency accelerated the decline of church attendance in America. While the number of people going to church was already going down steadily, Data from Harvard University's cooperative election study shows an exogenous shock in 2016, according to political scientist Ryan Burge, who specializes in the study of religious data. For every action, there is a reaction, Burge told Christianity Today. Donald Trump is the action. His election caused all these ripple effects in American society, and you can see it in the pews. That's his quote. Politically moderate and left-leaning evangelicals appear most impacted. A growing number seem to have felt estranged from their congregations in the Trump era. The rate of self-identified Democrats giving up on church in their 20s and to 50s doubled from the end of Barack Obama's presidency to the end of Trump's, according to Burge. And the dramatic change came in 2016. At the same time, more Republicans started identifying as evangelical but not attending any worship services. 
The growing consensus of social scientists is that political identities are currently much, much stronger than religious commitments. This is sad. Carrie Newhoff isn't wrong. Deconstruction has most definitely been fueled by these five things. Distrust of large institutions, our diverse, accessible, mobile world, high-profile Christians who are failing big. He said burning out. I called it failing big. Fourth, the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity. And fifth, the acceptance of political idolatry and conspiracy theories. But ultimately, people deconstruct for two reasons. The first is emotional. The emotional reasons have to do with being let down by failures of leaders and disappointment at the hands of other believers, having negative experiences with members of the congregation, being hurt by the people in a place where you were supposed to be safe, and an overall sense of judgment and condemnation within the culture of the church. That's just the, um, like the shallow end of emotional reasons. There's also very legitimate hurt, abuse, and trauma that has gone on inside the culture of the church. The second reason people deconstruct their faith is for cognitive reasons. Cognitive reasons have to do with perceived problems with the Bible, embracing Darwinian evolution, the influence of hedonism, and churches not knowing what to do with the sexual revolution and gender dysphoria. How big is the problem? This is the question Jim Davis and Michael Graham asked in their book, The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Davis and Graham share in the introduction of their book that they set out to prove or disprove this thesis. We are currently in the middle of the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. The data they collected from a random group of 1,043 American adults overwhelmingly supported the thesis. Listen to what they said. Before now, the largest religious shift in church attendance in the U.S. occurred during the 25-year period after the Civil War. From 1870 to 1895, church attendance more than doubled as people resumed their post-war lives. That religious shift pales in comparison to what we are seeing today, only instead of going back to church, people today are leaving church. About 15% of American adults living today, this is around 40 million people, have effectively stopped going to church, and most of this de-churching has happened in the past 25 years. My friends, this represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. Some people might ask, is this the great apostasy? For America, it just might be. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In 2 Peter 4, 3 and 4, we read this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Other verses related to apostasy and how awful it is 
are these. Hebrews 3, 12. That verse tells us it's possible to happen to those who are active even in the church. Luke 8, 13. This one refers to those who receive but never are rooted in the faith. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is a dire warning telling us that there will come a time when it is impossible to return to the faith. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22 admits that uh, apostasy is possible, but certainly not advisable. Hebrews 10, 26 through 29 called this a terrible thing to do. And 2 Peter 2, 1 puts the blame for apostasy on false teachers. My friends, I don't know if this is the great apostasy scripture warns us of or if it isn't. But it is confirming to my own faith to know that absolutely nothing catches God off guard. In either way, we love the people who've left the church and we long to see them return. So a better question is this, what can we do? First and foremost, and you'll probably hear it in all three of these episodes, we can listen to what our loved ones are telling us without judgment and fear. Judgment is what they expect. It's what they've most likely already experienced. And it's just one of the things that they are escaping. Our fear will only diminish our believability when we claim to have the answers to life's biggest questions. Number two, the first is listen to what our loved ones are telling us without judgment and fear. Number two, we can understand that they need healing from their hurt, which will take time. And they need the same time and space to process their thoughts. So number two is that we need to give them time and space. We know very well that God calls each one of us to himself in a personal way. We don't come into a personal relationship with God because another person convinced us it would be good for us. Other people can introduce us to Jesus they tell us what he's meant to them, and then they live their lives in a way that causes us to wonder if we might share in that same hope and peace that they have. But the actual transaction that occurs between a person separated by their own sin from a righteous and holy, loving and compassionate God is between them and him. It's hard to give people the space they need, and it's hard not to be afraid that we will lose them forever. It's also hard to always respond in kind and godly, spirit-filled ways when we're in conversation with them, especially when we're confronted by their anger and when we feel personally attacked. But if we take our own misgivings, fear, and heartache to Jesus, we will find healing for our own souls. We'll discover deeper intimacy with him. And along the way, he will create in us a confidence that can withstand their journey. I don't know why, <laughs> but as I was studying this and preparing it to present to you, I just got to remember in Charlotte and Charlotte's web when she sang her chin up song. Do you remember it? Chin up, chin up. Everybody loves a happy face. I can't remember the melody, but this is what the words say. Wear it, share it. It'll brighten up the darkest place. Twinkle, sparkle, let a little sunshine in. You'll be on the right side, looking at the bright side, up with your chinny chin chin. <laughs> and then her second verse went like this. Chin up, chin up, put a little laughter in your eyes. 
brave it, save it, even though you're feeling otherwise. Rise up, wise up, make a little smile begin. You'll be happy hearted once you get it started. Up with your chinny chin chin. <laughs> My friends, people all around us are deconstructing their faith. And God knew we would be their mothers, their fathers, sisters, and brothers. He knew we would be their children, their teachers, their students, their friends. And because God knew that, he has already given us everything we need to serve our role in his heavenly divine army during these days. Let's love our people well and trust our God completely. We'll talk more in the next episode about what might be going on in the minds of those that are deconstructing their faith. And then in the third episode, we're going to discuss more about how deconstruction affects our relationships with each other. The important thing to remember is that God knows what's up. None of this catches him off guard. He's been here before and he knows exactly what to do. He hears us when we pray. He loves us and has promised to provide us with everything we need to not only survive, but thrive even in the midst of this. Here are four things that have worked for me. Number one, go outside every day if you can. It's winter and I know it's cold, but pile on the hats, gloves, and scarves and drink in the great outdoors. Number two, Find a friend you can laugh with, get together and be silly. <laughs> Laughter is indeed good medicine. Number three, eat healthy and drink plenty of water. You'll be surprised what an impact this will have on your heart and head. Okay, I have to confess that while I'm doing this, I literally have a little individual package of Lay's potato chips that is, let's say, um, three quarters eaten. <laughs> right here next to me at my desk. But don't do as I'm doing. Do as I say. Eat healthy and drink plenty of water. I do have a humongous water bottle sitting here too. Number four, let God know how you feel and be still long enough to let him walk you through the hard, the confusing, the lonely, the regret, the what you're losing right now, and whatever else you're going through. Be still with him as he walks you through these things. And number five, keep clinging to scripture promises he's given you. Here's one of my favorites. I will bring and you fill in the blank with your person through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. That's Zechariah 13, 9. Thank you for listening today. In this next episode, we'll talk about how deconstruction might be affecting our loved ones and what could be going on inside of their heads and their hearts. Then in part three, we're going to thoroughly discuss how deconstruction affects us and our relationships with them. Please let me know what you think and what questions you have. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I am L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-C-C-O-Y on Instagram and Leanne McCoy Pray All The Way on Facebook. 
I've got some great news. My daughter, Kaylee, who goes by Sayla now, and I are getting ready to launch a podcast for family and friends who've suffered the disconnect that their deconstruction brought them. In our new podcast, Kaylee and I will discuss what we've learned throughout the journey and how we've discovered that love works hard. (laughs) We will discuss some deconstruction, maybe some current events, and I'm sure some other very meaningless things as well. We're looking forward to launching our podcast in the next month. Hang in there, my praying people, and share these episodes with anyone you know who is struggling with their relationship with the people they love who are deconstructing their faith.